Level 2 for longer. Well, I don't think there's a lot of certainty for people, and I think that's um, disappointing. In a hard year. 2020 has frankly been terrible. Hello everybody and welcome to the One News Inside Parliament podcast where we discuss all of the stories we've been covering for One News here at Parliament as we head towards the October election. I'm Mikey Sherman. I'm Benedict Collins. And I'm Jessica Much Mackay. And we'll kick off with our peaks and our pits of the week, our highs and our lows. Does anybody want to take us away first? I don't mind starting off with, with the low, which I think for me was pretty um, obvious with another big news story and that was the um, case of the gunman heading to court and I think hearing those um, victim impact statements was pretty powerful I think for a, for all of us we spent a lot, a lot of time in Christchurch, I know that I flew down with the Prime Minister the day after the attacks um, and went back and forth a few times uh, with her in, in the weeks afterwards and I think to hear some of those people that you'd interviewed and, and seen there giving their impact statement and having a, a chat to a couple of the journos who had been down there covering it and that sense of real relief which is such a funny emotion to feel after a sentencing but the ability to, just to be able to say your piece, address it, get it off your chest um, and then to have the sentence um, that you feel is fitting um, after he's taken the lives of your loved ones. So I think in some ways a, a real low and in some ways I guess for those families perhaps a relief and a, and a high and a sense of being able to move on. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of, for a lot of people, including the Prime Minister yesterday, saying, hey, you know, they just hope it's done and dusted and he never, he never sees the light of day again. I thought one of the, um, uh, you know, victim impact statements that was read out in court by um, Ahad Nabi was, you know, pretty incredible. He was the, the guy wearing the wearing the Warriors jersey who gave him the, uh, the, the middle finger on both hands to the, um, to the gunman, said he was um, the trash of society and um, hopes he ends up getting buried in a landfill. The bit before that in the grab was actually his, he said, your father was a garbage man yeah. and you've become trash. And yeah. I think it's it's interesting, his play on language and how long he's been wanting to utter those words. It's interesting. It yeah. has um, been interesting also to um, see the political um, thinking in terms of deportation of Tarrant. Um, obviously had New Zealand first saying Australia needs to take him back and we need to you know, send him back over there if they'll have him. And then though you had um, the National Party, Judith Collins, saying, look, we do want to sort of keep control of anything of like parole right? or yeah. anything mm. in terms of the sentencing, so it might be better to have him here. So just, yeah, interesting to hear the different sides of that debate, I guess. Um, and, and I think Judith made those comments before he had been sentenced to life yeah, without parole as well. But, you know, th things could change in the, in the track, but mm. if he's here, you've got control of that, right? Whereas if you send him back to Australia, he, you know, they're not bound by our sentences. And the Prime Minister's given herself some wriggle room in that, saying she wants to speak to the, the victims' families and then make a call after that. So kind of, I guess, get a sense of where, where the mood of, yeah. of, of that group is at. And, and uh, um, Paul Hobbs, a colleague of ours, did a, uh, did a story in the news last night pointing out, you know, last time we did a uh, prisoner transfer or, you know, with the um, French terrorists, actually, who blew up the Rainbow Warrior. Didn't work out too well for us. No. Um, they gave us $13, $14 million, I think. Uh, spent a few months on a Pacific island and then uh, France took them back and promptly promoted them. Mm. And in terms of um, keeping with our pits, Benedict, did you have any specific low light from this week? Not a specific low light, uh, but one thing that I thought was fascinating was a story that 
kind of blew up the last couple of days about the Green Party. Uh, and, and James Shaw, Associate Finance Minister, announced $11.7 million for a um, ex- like an elite private Taranaki Green School. Uh, now, James Shaw said it was going to help create a couple of hundred jobs and was going to bring more, you know, for, I think, for wealthy foreign students into this uh, elite school, but seemed to have forgotten that it's green policy not to give public money to private schools. Uh, and it was yeah, fascinating watching uh, current candidates like Ricardo Menendez March, uh, former MPs like Sue Kedgley, Sue Bradford, uh, Catherine Delahunty, Mojo Mathers just climbing into them on Twitter yesterday going, you know, this is obscene. How can you possibly give this much money to an elite private school? And then you've got all these public schools around Taranaki going, what the hell? You know, we'd love this kind of money, you know. Um, and then you had Chris Hipkins yesterday going, oh, I wouldn't have done it. You need to talk to the um, the ministers who signed off on this. And yeah, I, I can understand how people would think it's galling. So yeah, pretty incredible uh, decision there. Yeah, and you can understand, I guess, from the Greens' perspective, they're wanting to make this school a real, um, you know, world leader, and they're wanting to pump this money into it. But I guess it's just kind of forgetting that base principle. And I do have to say, I love that about the Greens that there's, you know, they're territorial, of course, but there's just when you do something wrong as a Green Party leader, you've got six or seven um, former MPs that are willing to go out and publicly slam, slam you. Yeah. And I kind of like that about the Green I love Party. It. I feel like it's it's really holding each other to account so yeah I, and that's really important yeah I really do like that and we do see that a lot from um, some of the um, former female um, MPs um, there including um, Catherine Delahunty who's always sort of just keeping them keeping them honest and keeping them true to the kaupapa um, and you know it's not to say that innovation is a bad thing in terms of education you know I think there's definitely um, uh, some debate to be had there in terms of you know exploring those types of opportunities but it just smacks of hypocrisy when you had yeah. the Green Party really coming down on partnership schools that were you know that David Seymour and the likes were trying to get up and then turning around and, and doing this themselves so a bit of a misstep there um, perhaps on the part of um, the current leadership team. My pit um, has to, and it kind of moves into next week, um, but I think I'll say this on behalf of all non-Aucklanders, and that is that we are seeing Auckland move into level two next week. And I think that it would be interesting to explore the question of whether or not the rest of the nation, how comfortable people are feeling about Aucklanders perhaps being able to travel move in and around mm. the country now to travel outside of that Auckland border, which is allowed come next week under the current settings. And I think you'll have a lot of nervous people sitting around their dinner tables, you know, over the weekend thinking, I'm not sure how comfortable I feel about that, just given the case numbers that we are still seeing come out of Auckland, you know, that sort of mini subcluster, if you like, um, with the Mount Roskill Church there. It's just, I I don't know if people feel as comfortable and as confident um, to see so much perhaps movement out of Auckland through those borders so that'll be interesting to, to watch and see whether or not that issue comes up over the over the weekend as we nudge towards that Monday level two date um, but what about peaks do you I, guys have peaks? Well, I've got another interesting thing that I think is worth noting. I just finished an interview um, with the US ambassador 
to New Zealand just about this issue of of diplomats going into managed isolation, and uh, he was he was saying, look, um, he's not dodging the managed isolation that he's worked through with the Ministry of Health, and that you know as an as a US ambassador, for him to stay in a normal hotel would require heaps of security. It would take up a place of a New Zealander, and it would. Um, be at the cost of the New Zealand taxpayer. And it was really interesting. It came from a story that Andrea Vance did um, from Stuff. And I just think it raises this whole question about uh, about how we're doing this and the anomalies that come out. Now, of course, New Zealand, a, a New Zealander coming home to New Zealand is compelled to go to managed isolation provided by the government. Um, the ambassador, of course, because of the Vienna Convention, isn't, isn't required to do that. So he's self-isolating at home. And a couple of things that struck me which I thought were interesting to point out are that he is um, some more interesting facts which I, I feel like I've taken on that phrase from Jerry Brownlee the last week or so um, the fact that he he chartered a flight from Auckland to Wellington so flew into Auckland yeah um, and then then chartered that flight which was approved from the Ministry of Health so I think that's one factor um, the other factor is that there's no staff at the embassy so um, he did say that they you know, stocked up the fridge and things, but they don't have the usual um, domestic staff that they would have there. Um, and the fact that they took so he's tests, cooking for himself, yeah. Yeah, well, right. well, yeah, <laughs> he's pretty good on pretty good on the barbecue, probably some American hot dogs. But um, I think with that kind, of, I, I think it's interesting to see those caveats to it. But I, but it's, it goes back to that nervousness that you were talking about before, that people are thinking, oh, America is such a hot spot yeah. um, and coming back. And he's saying, look, I can't leave. There are cameras are all around and very high walls around my property. You know, I can't get out. The residence is secure, blah, 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 blah. But it, it, I think it's just um, another quirk of the system. Um, and, and I thought it was, yeah, I just had found it a very interesting interview. Mm. What about peaks from you Benedict any peaks from you I've got one yeah go on yeah okay um health select committee actually perhaps going on from last week my peak was Dr Shane Letty another win for him uh this week you have to say in terms of getting um Ashley Bloomfield and and other experts before the health select committee I mean he he was lobbying for that and um initially got pushed back um, by Louisa Wall as the chairperson of the House Select Committee saying you know, look, she discussed it with um, government colleagues and other members on that Select Committee and um, they just didn't have the numbers of support behind that call from Shane Letty and then lo and behold who should change their mind, well perhaps not change their mind but come out anyway and say actually we think it's a good idea um, to have some accountability New Zealand first. So they put out um, their call um, in support of um, Shane Letty um, and the push for a bit more accountability and transparency as Parliament continues to sit and they've got it. So um, next week the House Select Committee um, will have um, Dr Bloomfield and other experts um, before them and so you have to tick that one up as a win for Shane Letty. Yeah and speaking of experts um, or, or perhaps the opposite. Uh, white Ribbon, the White Ribbon Foundation, who deal with domestic violence this week, they got rid of um, one of their ambassadors, uh, the, the leader of the New Zealand Public Party, standing for Parliament, Billy TK Jr. Uh, they said basically they felt that his comments recently around a whole range of issues, but particularly around COVID-19, flies in the face of their evidence-based approach of trying to deal with family violence, and they've dumped him as an ambassador. 
Yeah, mm. really interesting for him. And that follows uh, Andrew Falloon's. Yeah, yeah. So by uh, them as well. So they'll be on the lookout for some new ambassadors. That's right. Yes, yeah. but, but um, and I think uh, he, he's not too happy about that either. Uh, we're going to be having a chat with him uh, later today. That'll be really interesting because yeah. I think the public will be interested to hear from him. He got 0.7 percent in our um, latest poll, and that yeah. seems like a very high number for someone who's relatively unknown to most of us. Yeah, and also on that, uh, Advance New Zealand and Jamie Lee Ross, those parties have kind of teamed up together for the election. He's in hot water as well about um, uh, Trevor Mallard, Parliament Speaker. He's referred him to the Privileges Committee over an ad that they've put up, um, which some would say is doctored, um, to kind of create the impression that there could be, you know, mandatory vaccinations for the New Zealand public. Uh, that I guess that'll be held next week, I imagine. Um, so, yeah, he's in a bit bit of hot water there. I've just watched the Facebook Live he's done saying he doesn't care, he's not taking it down, they've, they've republished it again. Uh, and Jamie Lee Ross's argument is this is inappropriate for, you know, a, a Labour MP, basically, to be getting involved in, in election campaigning but it'll be interesting to see how that plays yeah, out next week. really interesting issue. And we've got one more week of Parliament which will dissolve next week, Sunday the all, 6th all, all going of ahead, September. All going according all to plan. Yeah, yeah. Does this feel familiar? Have we said this before? I feel yeah. <laughs> like we're just going through this process again. Um, it's, yeah, I just feel like with this a little bit like they've said okay, just keep jogging around the block. I'll just do one more block and I just <laughs> uh, now I've just lost a bit of hope that the block is ever going to finish. Like it just it feels like we're going to be jogging for a little while. Well, come. and on that, in terms of continuing to jog around the block, four more days for Auckland in Level 3. We heard that announcement earlier this week. Shall we talk a bit about the Prime Minister and Cabinet's big decision around alert levels for Auckland and the wider country? That kicked our week off on Monday um, with that decision from the Prime Minister. What, what was your take on that, Jess? I feel like... Again, we saw the Prime Minister trying to kind of go down the middle and have a bit of a compromise. So uh, they, there was an extension of four more days, so Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Originally, they were going to go on the Wednesday. Yeah. And giving themselves some wriggle room. I think what's happened, we had seven um, new cases yesterday. I think it was at five in the community yesterday or six in the community. I can't quite remember. But still a, a, a handful of cases in the community. And I think that... The government will have wanted those numbers to go down more. Uh, last time we went to level from level three to level two, we had about a week of very low case numbers and we had three days in a row of zero. So I think by the time we switched, everyone was feeling a bit like, oh, come on, let's just go. Whereas at the moment, it's, even though it's, it's in a cluster and they know where they're coming from, there is a little bit of thinking about, oh, that still feels quite high. And we questioned the minister about that. Yesterday, I think that perhaps the buy-in from Aucklanders will go till Sunday <laughs> and parents and business owners are crying out. They've been like, we've done the time in self-isolation, we've done the extension, we get it, we've got to be sure. But I do feel like this time round has been really tough for a lot of people. And even on a, a on a personal note, um, my parents were due to come down at the weekend um, to see 
the baby, they hadn't seen her for a while, things like that. And it's I know that it's it's obviously a very small, insignificant thing, but I think that lots of people's lives and plans are yeah, all yeah and yeah. plans are affected i mean imagine people with weddings and with funerals and with big things but even little things like grandparents seeing grandchildren you know the, those are all things mm. that have a flow on effect for a lot of families around new zealand so i do think um it's a big call when those things happen i thought it was interesting that they kind of locked in what they were going to do on monday almost a week out said hey we're going to move down to level two in a week's time sort of lock it in quite a way out yeah. even though those numbers haven't really they're continuing to come in around the seven eight nine kind of mark most days some days a yeah. little bit higher some days a little bit lower but they kind of made a call quite a way out and that they haven't had cabinet or anything to reconsider mm. whether whether that move was right i just thought that was interesting given that they normally try and leave it up till the last minute and then and then give people 48 hours notice whereas here they were making a call a week out and, and sort of saying, oh, that's what we're going to do. And you yeah. have to wonder whether locking that call in was basically locking in the faith of Aucklanders to keep going with this thing, because I think you're right, the tolerance and um, and the patience with this lockdown is waning a bit. And we did hear um, uh, about the um, fatigue of COVID mm. lockdown this second time round, especially when, if you're in Auckland and looking to other parts of the country, everyone else, including us, are living relatively normal sort of lives and yeah. so they would be getting quickly fed up with that on the other hand obviously it is still a little bit nerve-wracking seeing case numbers um, and so that is the balance that the government has had to juggle if you like and you know when they made that call on the Monday they had the weekend um, to consider and over that weekend you had two cases which were not linked at that point to that main Auckland cluster and they were still under investigation and now leading you know, into this next week where we're going to see Auckland go to level two. We've got this little sub sort of um, cluster growing um, linked to that Mount Roskill church yeah. and, and wedding. And so... Um, and, and, pretty, and several hundred people who may have, you know, come into contact with the virus, with right? That. Yeah. So, you know, there is still a lot of question marks there and the fact that they did lock it in, they're not sort of, you know, we haven't mm. been told that there are, you know, um, cabinet meetings this weekend just to, to be doubly sure and to um, confirm that move. It's happening and, um, like I said in the, in the pit, um, in terms of it happening and people potentially moving out of Auckland and throughout the rest of the country, it... it it does raise some a few eyebrows and uh, it'll be interesting to keep um, watching that over the weekend, especially those case numbers. Yeah, and I think even today, you know, I do think that that number today is going to be crucial. I think if we get a one, two or three today, that will make a difference. I think if it if it's up around that seven, eight, nine plus... Or in double figures, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Make, yeah. so I just think, yeah, I think today's going to be crucial and by the time you guys watch this we'll have that number and you can see if our our prophecy was right yeah. <laughs> hey and monday uh, you know quite big news especially for people like myself who travel on public transport yeah masks are mandatory yeah for everyone over 12 uh, yeah i think mm. it's it's so interesting and there's a few we had the announcement yesterday clarifying some of the details so uber drivers will have to wear them not someone traveling yeah. in an uber or a taxi um children under the age of 12 won't have to wear them school buses they don't count but it's just such an interesting issue and on planes um you'll have to wear them i did quite like though there was a grave from judith collins that i had to take out of the story because of 
of the duration from last night where she did raise what I thought was quite an interesting point about, um, of course, these are the government rules, but if you want your child to wear a mask and, and you feel like that's the appropriate action, of course they can. And she was saying, look, I'd, if it was me with a school-aged child, I'd probably err on the side of caution and um, get them to be to wear it. And, and um, I think we can play that clip for you now. So take a look at what Judith Collins had to say. I guess if it was my kid and they're at school, I'd probably err on the side of caution. But they'd probably think I was an overprotected mother. That's because I am an overprotected mother. <laughs> now, another interesting thing I thought from your track last night, Jess, was Michael Baker and talking about the, the rules for um, high school students, I think, on buses. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so in that interview, he's he's obviously been the one who's, from months ago, was saying, yeah, yeah. wear masks, wear masks, and the government was saying, no, look, the WHO says it's not necessary, we don't think it's necessary. So now we're doing masks, and now he's saying oh, look, um, probably get, getting school kids to wear them is important. Like, look at that there has been school cases, yep. um, teenagers, close proximity, um, you know, busy lives, maybe not totally focusing on social distancing and all of that kind of stuff. And he said it is a missed opportunity. So I think you raised a good point this morning saying, I wonder if we're going to be doubling back to um, Professor Michael Baker's advice on this again. In, in a couple of weeks' time, yeah. where the government will um, you know, do what they did last time and start following his advice yeah. a little bit down the track. But also, I think, an interesting issue for parents, right? Like, if I had a high school student or high, high school kid, I'd, I'd be saying, hey, wear a mask. Same. Also yeah. interesting for taxi drivers and Uber drivers. I mean, if that were me driving people and, you know, uh, and they didn't have to wear a mask, I'd feel a little bit uncomfortable about that, I think. You know, if it's good for the bus driver to have his passengers wear a mask and yet in a cab or an Uber, you're in much closer proximity yeah. to the passenger... I mean, why not just why not just make it blanket for anyone who's catching that type of transport? And that's yeah. basically to what the, the taxi the drivers said to us mm. yesterday when we interviewed them. I think that's a valid point. Yeah, I, the argument that the health minister made when we asked him about that was saying, "Look, you've got QR codes, so you can track, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And also, the enforcement would be quite hard. So for Uber drivers, they'd have to say, "No, you get out of my car," or because you don't have a mask on, and that was, and he was saying that the, on the, balancing it up with the health, um, mm. what's the word I'm looking for? Not health risks, but the health um, benefits of doing that, uh, just weren't worth it. But uh, yeah, I can see how if you're a, if you're a taxi driver and Uber driver, you think well, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. You know what I mean? People sh- and and hopefully people will just will do it, even mm. though it's yeah. not mandated. I'd say at the start of this week, it was interesting catching the train into Wellington City. I would say maybe 20% of people mm. were wearing masks. This morning coming in, I think yeah. it would have been about 90. So I think people are, are gearing Same up for bus. that. Yeah. Same thing on the bus. Um, in terms of other, um, before we wrap up, other um, political issues that we've sort of seen bubbling around. Oh. Oh, I was yeah, just, I thought I'd, this, this, this the demonstration of the mask. This is like Ashley Bloomfield when he gave us his little yeah. uh, show and tell earlier this week. For anyone who's just listening to this, this is opening up the mask. But mask use, and I thought appropriate because of the bees on it for the beehive. beehive. beehive yeah, nice. There you go, so a hey. little demonstration. Nice for you guys. It's quite, it's, it's, it's quite claustrophobic, isn't it? Like that feeling. And yeah, I've, well, almost, I've watched a few reporters wearing them doing doing live crosses, and it yeah, and it almost looks the like they're about the to point. start yeah. hyperventilating. Yeah, they seem to be, and it's muffled, you can see the mask puffing in and out. Yeah, it's muffled voices, and it's our expression. Do you know what I mean? I think we use 
our voices quite a lot with expression. Yeah, and spare a thought for those of us who wear glasses. I mean, yeah. mm. fog is an issue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Can I take it off now? Yeah, yeah. take Thanks. it off. Um, so uh, quickly, other um, political issues bubbling away. Speaking of bubbling, this is a great segue. Bubbles, water, water policy, national. Nice, Mikey um, yeah, Sherman, well, that go. was good. <laughs> Um, so the Nets basically promising that um, the government's um, uh, policies and and changes in regards to um, fresh water will be gone by lunchtime. What did you think of that, Benedict? It was interesting and interesting too because I think Fonterra has kind of come out and supported a lot of the, the water reforms that the government's trying to make. And then you've got National kind of coming in and saying, no, no, we want to get them rid of by lunchtime. But I think they might have walked that back a little bit. Um, with Scott Simpson kind of saying, oh, hey, well, we're going to have a look at them. They're not necessarily gone by lunchtime. Yeah. yeah. Facebook yeah. Lives maybe embolden um, yeah, yeah. Your people's confidence. Yes. Some people call that policy on the hoof. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but interesting, and I think in, a, in another week, that would have been quite a big um, election issue it just with... Uh, the Tarrant case this week, there was a lot of news that sort of didn't really make it um, onto our onto our bulletin, understandably. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else, guys? Any no, more I think I'm. I think I'm happy. You happy? Awesome. Great. I think we'll leave it there. That's another week done and dusted from us. This is One News Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up about all of the stories we've been covering here uh, as we head toward, again, that October election. We're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. It's available around this time each week on One News Online. And check us out on your favourite podcasting app. 